Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. I'm in the mountains, and now I'm by the coast. I was by the coast. Hey. And the mountains. Nice. That's California for you. Yeah. There's only, there's only one of a couple of biomes that you can enjoy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Stephen... You may know this. My name is Brandon R. Reynolds. Yeah, my name is Stephen Jackson. That's correct. And together we are doing this show, Journos. Journos. And you're familiar with that so far? Yes. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. So one of the things that we have wanted to do here at Journos is to, and this may blow everyone's mind, yep. talk to other Journos about what they do, yep. about the stories that they cover, yep. and about the larger circumstances of their journos style lives yeah it, i mean it's right there it's right there in the name it is right there in the name <laughs> yep yep with that in mind yeah we have a guest today and his name is chris roberts i have known him for quite some time we worked together at sf weekly in san francisco and i left he continued to run the show for a while but he's been all over the place writing and editing for a variety of outlets which he will tell us about now he's in new york city um, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff. But the reason we wanted to talk to him today was because he just did a story for Forbes about a candidate for Senate who smoked a blunt on an ad. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's bring him on. Yeah, Chris, let's do it. Chris, are you there? Chris Roberts. Gentlemen, I'm yeah. here. Stephen, I'm glad you saw it. Millions of other people saw it, too. Yeah. Might be the most famous blunt in America right now. It, it was the blunt heard around the world. It really was. One could say it sparked a conversation. Many people are saying this. Yeah. It seems to resonate. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, as one does in this field these days, I did a story about a video, but then the story about the video became much more. Every 37 seconds, someone is arrested for possession of marijuana. Since 2010, state and local police have arrested an estimated 7.3 million Americans for violating marijuana laws, over half of all drug arrests. Black people are four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana laws than white people. States waste $3.7 billion enforcing marijuana laws every year. Most of the people police are arresting aren't dealers, but rather people with small amounts of pot, just like me. I'm Gary Chambers, and I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. So, Chris, you heard the ad. How long after you heard the ad did you pitch it? Well, I both heard and saw it, so... You know, I, I felt it as well. Um, I think that it was it was really quick. But by that point, I already had to find some sort of more substantial angle because that was the second, at least the second piece of weed related news that in stark contrast to years of yore uh, was immediately picked up by everybody. And when I say everybody, I do mean everybody. We're talking People magazine, Washington Post, CNN, stuff like this. The week before, there had been a study released about two other words that are that make the internet machine go jump as uh, COVID and cannabis. So anyway, yeah, this was the second piece of really viral weed adjacent news in less than a week. And so uh, I had to find something else to do. You know, I couldn't just write about, oh, you know, man does video, you know, man smokes weed on video, which... Again, yeah, it was more than enough to get every other media outlet in the country to give this uh, Senate candidate, who I think is legitimate. Um, he did okay in a congressional race last year. But yeah, that was all it took for this guy to get 
millions and millions of dollars worth of earned media. So I had to do some real digging and get him on the phone. And I did that. Um, and I think a little bit after everyone did sort of like the initial quick hit, you know, pardon the pun, please. Uh, here's a person smoking pot on video. <laughs> Unbelievable. I've walked into that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, he did, you know, he then did a big round of media interviews, but I think we were one of the first to actually get him on the phone. And that's the story. And so, yeah. So Gary Chambers, 36 years old, running for office and his whole platform, not his whole platform, but his platform is based at least in part on the idea that marijuana is over-criminalized and, and also that other politicians smoke weed, endorse weed, but they don't come all the way out and just say they're doing it, say they love it. Yeah, it's weird. The normalization of cannabis, of weed in the legalization era does seem to have sort of a, a hard stop, right? It's got a it's got sort of a red line that you can be for legalization, which that in and of itself is not enough anymore. You know, you can also be for restorative justice as part of legalization, but no one really wants to smoke weed. No one really wants to say, yes, I am also a weed user. You can sort of contrast that with uh, I can't I've lost count of how many uh, candidates for office this term are, you know, posed with guns, like yeah. shooting guns, like that can be like your whole identity. Like I'm a gun owner, a gun owner with a Christmas tree, though. Yeah. And a big family, and a family, big family. Big yeah. Family. What family. Is this? You don't even need that. You don't even need a family or a Christmas tree. You can just have the guns. But isn't yeah. it like but with the guns, they're kind of flaunting something they're already legally allowed to do. So I think the big departure here with somebody smoking a blunt on camera in Louisiana is that technically he is breaking the law. He's even though it's um, I think from your piece, you state that the the law has been it's been diluted, right? Yeah. In recent years. So it's like a hundred dollar fine or something like that. But he's still. And yeah, no, it is, it is still sort of like, it is a bit of an expression of civil disobedience. But in Gary Chambers's um, defense, I guess, he also did this in New Orleans. And New Orleans, so yeah, Louisiana has what is called decriminalized mm -hmm. uh, possession, which means that. Uh, the worst that can happen to you is, is if you're caught with, uh, I think it's less than an ounce of weed, uh, and an ounce will last most people quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, the worst that can happen is a $100 fine, but New Orleans has gone even one step further. Uh, the city council last summer did a thing, as city councils do, where even that, I th even that fine will then get uh, thrown out. So you get like a talking to, basically. If the cops do anything, yeah. Yeah, it's it's something about like it's the same uh, degree of an offense as like a tobacco related fine, right? Uh, exactly. In, in New Orleans, yeah, and uh, and so yeah, I think it, I'm saying actually in praise of uh, the candidate chambers because it, it in a weird way it is just a little bit more than someone carrying and posing with a picture with their like legal AK-47. They're not breaking even a misdemeanor, and at least he's out there going the the extra step to be like, this is how much I care about it, that it's like I, I'm trying to start this conversation by breaking this minor law that shouldn't even be there in the first place. Yeah. And then obviously on a federal level, like you pointed out, you have the right to bear arms enshrined in the Constitution. But then again, you know, the Constitution doesn't say one thing or another about drug use either. That yeah. is a 20th century innovation. Uh, but it, we should mention that uh, as far as anyone knows, 
Gary Chambers Jr. is the first major party Senate candidate to actually go as far and do a revolutionary act like film himself smoking smoking pot. I mean, libertarians, of course, have certainly done this, you know, Green Party people, stuff like this. But yeah, and I think the other thing to mention is that Gary Chambers Jr. is a serious candidate. He's still a relatively new, he's a, a political neophyte, as they say, but he finished third, a strong third, uh, in a congressional primary last November. So just barely missed, barely missed the uh, two-person uh, runoff. I think he missed second place by like a thousand votes uh, out of I think like a hundred thousand cast. So he had like twenty thousand, and the third place had like twenty-one thousand, something like that. And he's pretty good at fundraising. He's gone out west to Hollywood and he's collected checks from the likes of Susan Sarandon and uh, Mila Jovovich. I don't know if anyone remembers uh, fifth element. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he can definitely, he definitely, he seems legit it is the point. And it is interesting that it's taken until now for a legitimate candidate to actually do this. You, you don't see anyone in California doing this or Oregon or Colorado, stuff like this, which, you know, may say more about the state of the democratic party in those States, but I guess the proof is in all the media coverage that it garnered. I mean, this can still be a provocative act in uh, 2021. Yeah, I think that part is really interesting. And could you maybe walk us through some of the background of this issue? Like, why does he care about this so much? Why did why was this provocative act necessary? I mean, Gary Chambers Jr. is a black man and black men in America are still far more likely than anyone else to run afoul of the law for anything cannabis related. I think you mentioned earlier that I live in New York City, which under Rudolph Giuliani became the worldwide capital for petty marijuana busts. And almost everyone arrested for simple possession was an either, you know, black or brown man. And as Gary pointed out in the video, he he cited stats that are a little bit old, but he cited this ACLU study from about like a decade ago. It says that every 37 seconds, uh, someone else in America is arrested for uh, a nonviolent marijuana offense. And uh, I think black men are four times more likely than whites uh, to be arrested. And even though um, some of the data that he's citing is from before the legalization era, you know, before Colorado and Washington were the first states to legalize adult use cannabis in uh, 2012, the larger structural problem of, you know, black people still being the most penalized, that's still there. And also the states surrounding him in Texas, in Alabama, Mississippi, um, you can still go away for a very long time for a a nonviolent offense. Totally. And there was some fact-checking there by PolitiFact from the Pointer Institute. How do you do? How many Pinocchios? Well, uh, so in recent years, experts say marijuana arrests have happened less frequently than once every 37 seconds. Correct. In 2020, for example, there was one marijuana-related arrest every 90 seconds and one marijuana possession arrest about every 99 seconds. Still correct. ridiculous. Still many arrests. Yeah, that's a lot. We're still talking about seconds here. Folks. <laughs> there's a lot of seconds in the day. Ticks on the clock. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's also this weird cognitive flip that's going on, right? Like on the one hand, it is still something that people get arrested for. There's still many people in prison for it. But on the other, it is sort of like, yeah, pot. It's not a big deal anymore, right? So you might ask, is it a risk for him to be focusing on this when, as you point out in the article, 
Louisiana is near the bottom of the list in all of these other things, education, crime, environmental degradation, health, and the economy. Is it better for him to focus on one of those things rather than to come out of the gate emphasizing the the cannabis thing? Well, like Gary told me, uh, Gary Chambers Jr. said that this was a very deliberate technique to get people first talking about him then talking about Louisiana and then hopefully talking about all those other issues. I think, I think he's right in saying, you know, all the metrics in Louisiana, you know, in a word suck that I don't, that we wouldn't be talking about them. Uh, just maybe it sounds cynical, but the, the reason why we're even having this conversation is because he did what he did. I think it also speaks to legalization has not been accompanied by normalization. Like you can still be stigmatized a little bit for smoking weed, which you can't really for drinking a drink or having, you know, <laughs> having your entire family pose. Oh, you got your nice sweaters, got your dog, and here's my semi-automatic shotgun. You know, stuff like this. So uh, even as you have all these politicians saying, "Yes, I'm pro cannabis," you can't find you can't find anyone who's actually smoking pot. And the irony there, too, is that cannabis is legal in D.C., even though it's not legal on federal property. You know, mushrooms are decriminalized in D.C. So even despite that, you, you just cannot find anyone in office who's like, yes, I'm a weed user. And so that gulf between normalization and legalization, the fact that you can be pro-cannabis, you won't be photographed actually using it. That's really fascinating to me. So there's a lot of work to be done in terms of actually getting rid of some of the stigma that remains with cannabis use. It's not as criminalized as it was, that's true, but I don't think it's been normalized at all. So Chris, I've known you for a number of years. Uh, Too long. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, when we were at SF Weekly, you founded our um, drugs column at the time and had been covering it before that and we're covering it after. So give us the history of you as a drug reporter. Well, like a lot of people, I turned to weed in a time of need. It was the Great Recession. And I had been laid off. This is 2009, uh, for those of us who can remember back that far. And I laid off from my job as a Metro reporter for a really shitty little newspaper in San Francisco. But luckily, I at the time was dating someone who was from Humboldt County in far northern California. And as the recession droned on, as I you know burned through my Obama bucks and things like this, uh, was in financial need as well. And so I went up to Humboldt County to work in the industry, which at that time was very much a cottage industry or a, you know, a, maybe a cabin or like a trailer industry. Hmm. And when I came back, uh, after having trimmed weed and uh, having worked with the plants a little bit, stuff like this, like nothing too serious. It was a pretty small operation, but I uh, came back and that was when the Alt Weekly, where Brandon and I knew each other. That's when they started actually covering weed a little bit seriously. And I think that the reason why the Alt Weekly took it seriously is because at that time, the medical marijuana industry was getting pretty big. And this is before pretty much any regulation. So they had a lot of money sitting around and they also had to have a lot of money to spend because they were very worried about the feds taking it. Like now you couldn't put it in a bank. So there's a lot of all of a sudden medical marijuana advertising dollars. And I think that this is a case of where the publishing side of things sort of led editorial. 
yeah, so I started doing this little like email newsletter, but then told the 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 rest of the paper, I was like, hey, I think this weed thing, I think it's big, fellas. <laughs> I think this weed thing is uh, is uh, going to take. And then the very next year that there was a legalization initiative on the ballot in California, which did okay. It was called Prop 19 in 2010. It didn't get any of the big endorsements that it would get just two years later, like Gavin Newsom didn't endorse it. Kamala Harris didn't endorse, you know, Dianne Feinstein, all these very familiar names. Uh, we're all opposed to it then. So I think from the beginning, I kind of had an idea. It's like, well, yeah, of course, like I smoked pot. I thought, you know, weed people were interesting for the most part. But I kind of, I, I had an idea that it would be this weird combination of culture, politics, and business, you know, sort of intersectional story, even though I didn't quite have that language then. And yeah, I think it's proved to be that. I think, you know, it's a big business story now. It's like a political corruption story now, but it still definitely touches on a lot of cultural notes as well. Mm. I mean, that also kind of going back to why uh, this Senate candidate decided to use him smoking a blunt as uh, the centerpiece of this ad Maybe that's one of that that is further um, justification for him doing that because it is such this lightning rod for all of these other issues, right? Like as you just said. So somehow we whenever we do talk about cannabis and you, you scratch the surface just a little bit, you're suddenly talking about criminal justice, you're talking about banks and corporations. Yep. Racism, yeah. Everything. Access to capital. You're talking yep. about yep. also the um I don't know what the word is for like corporate gentrification, but essentially like you have this mom and pop, very like super community oriented industry. That's very much California that now Philip Morris and all these big corporations are going to come in and try to kind of take out the little guy, even though they paved the way for them to be there. So there's all these interesting stories that are connected to it. Which, and I think a lot of that gets lost. I think it gets lost in the sort of like, oh, I'm pro legalization. But I think it's what's what's getting lost is how that's not enough anymore. You have to say it's like, yeah, the, the idea that weed should still be criminalized is not universally abandoned, but it's it's basically lost. At this point, I think it's fair to say that the criminalization debate, it's kind of over. Like, you know, two thirds of Americans say adult use legalization should happen. Ninety one percent feel it, it should at least be medical. Yeah. So that debate's over. But then within that, though is like you're saying, Stephen, should Philip Morris be selling all of your weed or should it be small business? Should it be white capitalists that are just in the weed industry or should it be people who look like Gary Chambers Jr.? Totally. Yeah. And that, and, and I think that by taking like the risk that he did, I mean, what a loaded scene that is a black man smoking a blunt, like the blunt itself. Yeah. The fact that he put himself out there. I mean, that was a big risk that he took. Totally. So as a member of the media who covered this the way you did, and I think you did it very well, do you think that the media in general covers the topic and people that Chambers is trying to advocate for? Do you think the media covers them in, in a correct light or are they getting it wrong? I think it's getting a lot better. I definitely think that you don't have to go very far to find some of like the exhausted puns that, you know, are funny when you do them accidentally. It's like, oh, the blunt truth or, oh, high hopes, da, da, da. But you don't have to go very hard to find that very obviously sort of like jokey, sort of like snide, like, oh, here are the weed people, like it's like type thing that 
I think that's kind of going away, mm-hmm. but you can definitely still see evidence of it. So yeah, I, I think it's getting better, but a lot like just the fact, you know, being un- being willing or unwilling to publicly say, yeah, I'm a cannabis user. There's still a strong cultural disincentive, I think, to really take it seriously. I think it's mostly generational from what I can tell. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, you know, you get generations of like anti-drug programming like that. It, it worked, I think. And so in the last decade, decade and a half, you have this growing acceptance that you pointed out. How has that affected the way that it's been covered? I mean, are there any big trends that you notice? Are there any obvious blind spots that the media continues to miss? What, what are your, your kind of take on on how the evolution of the story has proceeded? I think that scientific research, while still stymied because of federal prohibition, there's more research money available than ever before. So there's also more research than ever before. So I think that it actually being accepted seriously as an object of study and as a potential treatment uh, for all kinds of maladies, that, that's changed very significantly. I think that a lot of that has to do with the marijuana industries selling itself, saying, mm-hmm. oh, we are worth this many billions. All kinds of people will stand up and listen when you say billions. Like, what? How much money? And you know, a lot of people that you know, lost fortunes during whichever recession, I think, are, you know, are, are like turning towards weed. So it's, I think it's taken seriously as an object of study. And I think it's taken seriously as an investment vehicle. But what I do think gets lost is I mean, weed's not that complicated, but it's a little complicated. Like it's more complicated than alcohol, right? Like there's this one main molecule in alcohol that does all the magic. You know, it's created when sugar is fermented. It's real easy. Weed's not like that. Weed has many hundreds of active ingredients. It's not just THC that does all the magic. And, there, and it comes in different forms. It's in a different form when it's in the raw plant versus when it's in actually heat is applied. So I think nuance like that gets lost. And I think the COVID and cannabis uh, studies, and I'm doing air quotes right now, I think are a really good example of that. Let's talk about that piece from Please. last week, actually, where... Um... A study came out that suggested maybe that there was this relationship between cannabis use and like people not getting COVID. What are your thoughts on that and how that went viral? Um, it, it, and yeah, just walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So that study. So the first one, there's been two in the last uh, two weeks. The first one, uh, researchers out of Oregon State found that when they exposed test tube cells to components that are found in raw weed that those cells were less likely to get infected by COVID, by the, by the coronavirus. They were actually dealing with the real live coronavirus in the, in, in the lab, but they were not dealing with any actual living tissue. It was just research cells. And that almost immediately became, and it's not all the media's fault. I read a lot of the coverage uh, and then, you know, sort of added my own corrective, which was no, smoking weed does not protect you from COVID-19. But that was how it was interpreted by the public. Yeah, that's an easy headline. Like, I mean, that's just like Senate candidate smokes a blunt and ad. Like- right. And then, and then there was a second study that came out on just a couple of days ago where 
this is a Tuesday uh, that came out on Thursday that said, then this one actually did look at some real live living, living things, mice and people. This found that a specific molecule called CBD, which is found in cannabis, which was a big, there was a big wellness craze around CBD a couple of years ago because Donald Trump signed the farm bill, which legalized hemp farming, hemp produces CBD. And so millions of people got into the, the hemp industry and are now sitting on a bunch of unsold biomass because the market for that collapsed. But, uh, but that study found that people who used CBD seem to have a lower rate of infection. And then they found that in mice as well as cells that uh, with a very large amount of CBD, you were both less likely to get infected with COVID-19 and you were also less, the severity was less uh, pronounced. So it seemed like CBD is an actual tool to reduce the spread of the virus. But then same thing. I mean, even respectable people, I saw like a respected climate journalist saying, oh, you know, me and my boyfriend, like we were just talking about this. None of our pot smoker friends have COVID. This must be it. And then in the same tweet thread, I I wish I was making this up. Someone posted there with like, oh yeah. I take CBD all the time. That's why I haven't gotten it. And eight hours later, they're like, oh, I have it now. LOL. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, so even people who look at science and can understand science and stuff like this aren't, and I get it, man. I don't like reading scientific study. They're complicated. They're not fun. Um, You know, it's 19 pages of highly technical shit. And these aren't even nuances, like rather large... like distinctions in exactly what the science says versus what people think it says are oftentimes lost. And, and again, I mean, I don't know how much of it is the media's fault, really. I mean, I'm not trying to defend the media here, but I read most of the coverage and it was pretty, it was accurate. It said, you know, cannabis compounds might do this, Mm -hmm. this thing might do this. But then I guess most people certainly online, you know, even in earnest, just didn't read past the headline or, just heard what someone else said. And then in the echo chamber, it became smoking pot does something with COVID. And yeah, there's just no sign. There's just no indication that that's the case. Yeah. So Chris, with all that that we have just learned from you, how might the chamber story evolve? What should we be looking for? How's the media going to take it? Is it going to continue to follow him as the weed candidate? I mean, what should we keep in mind here? I think that it, will be a real good indication of how seriously the media takes things or who's chasing who in terms of, you know, is the media just doing this because it's good for SEO or, you know, are people really mm. interested in it? Is it still just sort of like a sideshow? Is it like a novelty? Is it something fun and funny to sort of break the monotony of, you know, boring news about Omicron and, Oh, are we going to war in Ukraine? Things like this. It just remains to be seen what itch this is uh, scratching. I think until you see media organizations dedicate people to covering this seriously, to doing investigative reporting, to treating it like a serious issue in D.C. and a serious issue in, in the States, I think that you sort of run the risk of it still being this joke novelty thing. Yeah. You know, if Gary Chambers stays in the news and he's continued to be taken seriously without having to do stunts, I think that'll be an indication of that as well. Certainly. It, it remains to be seen if this uh, like spoonful of sugar does, in fact, help the medicine go down in terms of, hey, this is we got we're all talking about it. 
Now, let's see if we can elevate the conversation, even as the public, from yeah. saying, oh, wow, that was pretty remarkable that this guy had the balls to you know, smoke a blunt in his campaign ad. But now, like, let's talk about the criminal justice reform that this is supposed to point to, right? Can we go past that shiny object and get into the real conversation? I think that'll be really interesting to see. I think the thing to keep in mind is just how far this conversation's come, even in the last 10 years. So I remember the first weed story that I placed in like a newspaper of record in San Francisco was 2011. And I think the only reason why it got in then was because it ran over like a Thanksgiving holiday weekend and they were looking for content. Mm-hmm. But I think that it, it, things have come a long, long way. I mean, there's uh, Politico's got not an entire vertical, but they got like three or four people covering weed in DC and, you know, more than that covering weed in the States. The New York Times recently had its very respected Southwestern correspondent do a big item about the weed industry in Oklahoma. That would have been unthinkable a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I went to high school in the 90s. I didn't think that weed would be legal. No way. You, you buy in a store. Are you kidding me? And yeah. even, even that would, I would have been like, oh, that's, that's great. What? Like Philip Morris like farms it? I don't care. You know, like it's like 90 bucks for like three grams of shitty pot. Oh, whatever. Uh, But but then you actually get there and you're like, oh, no, that's not enough. That's not good enough. I guess maybe the greatest thing to say about it is that it. what we're kind of seeing now is that it is kind of becoming like everything else in terms of, you know, big businesses saying, no, we need easier regulations. We need to pay less taxes. Uh, You're having the same arguments over access to capital and opportunity gaps you have with everything else. So yeah, it's, it's getting more and more normal every day. I know this is kind of Pollyannish, uh, but it, that does seem to be the case. And I don't really see anything that can make it swing back at this point. And that's all just focusing on cannabis. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the boom in psychedelics and then the kind of ancillary connection to, you know, decriminalizing the hard drugs, um, yeah. which we'll have to talk about next time. With you, Chris Roberts. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. We'd love yeah, to, guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the chat, fellas. I appreciate it. Hey, Chris, where can we find you? You can find me on the internet. Mm-hmm. Good place to start. It's a pretty pretty big place. Yeah. Let me shine the light on all the dark recesses. Uh, you can find <laughs> me on the Twitter machine underscore Chris Roberts uh, is my handle. Um, you can also read my work on Forbes.com. Uh, I have a very common name, just Chris Roberts. You can put that in your preferred search engine. And uh, yeah, I'm around other places. Uh, Vice from time to time, Daily Beast from time to time, uh, who, what, why.org as well. So yeah, I'm out there. Great. Reach out. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Steven, it's good to see you as always. Brandon, it's been great to see you. This has been Journos with a new journo. We hope to see you back very soon. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Take care. Chernos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson.